Welcome and good morning to everyone. Uh, this is Mike Lampa, uh, Principal Advisor at Great Data Minds. Thank you for joining us for, for today's topic, which we're um, quite excited to be chatting about, the people analytics. I want to welcome my guest today, Michael Shen, uh, Senior Manager of People Analytics at Post Holdings. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Mike. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm really looking forward to this topic. Uh, um, uh, before, before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping items. We, we definitely encourage collaboration and uh, um, networking between the, pan, the uh, attendees. So please feel free to post your thoughts and observations or questions of Michael uh, in the chat window. And uh, we'll keep an eye on those questions and make sure we, uh, you know, discuss them uh, before the, the session is over. Um, we are recording today, so be forewarned on uh, what you do say. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, our next wave of uh, modern uh, uh, data platform and modern data analytics uh, workshops is scheduled for January. If you're interested in joining us for those workshops, uh, please let us know in the chat window and uh, we'll uh, send over a uh, complimentary code for you to use to, to join us at the workshop. All righty. And with that, let's, uh, let's get the show started. Um, Alexa, before I start having a, my dialogue and uh, with uh, Michael, I think we have a poll, don't we? We sure do, Mike. Here we go. All right. All right, folks. So on a scale of one to five, how effective and efficient do you feel your HR analytics or people analytics program is today? One being not effective and five being your people analytics rocks the house. Which would be awesome. Mm -hmm. I hope you see a lot of fun. No five so far. <laughs> Hopefully we can help you with that. All right. We got a few folks joining just in time to participate in the poll. I right, would give it just another second or two and then uh, we'll get started. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Alexa. Let's see here. Oh, well, a lot of people are in the middle of the road. Just started um, to implement the analytics program. So awesome. Great, great, great. Thank you, everyone. All right, so, so Michael, um, what trends are you seeing in the, in the uh, uh, people analytics space? I noticed you like to use people analytics uh, at Post Holdings as opposed to HR, uh, which I like. You know, that's, that's kind of nice. Uh, humanizing it a little bit. Um, so I know, but um, what kind of trends are you seeing as it pertains to other uh, people analytics space? Yeah, most certainly. So a lot of trends nowadays in people analytics bring a lot of more of psychology, a lot of behavioral economics into the people analytics um, area or into human resources overall. Um, you know, they're really looking at how, how do we best have our workforce uh, perform, perform, perform at its best, right? So by bringing in things like IO psychologists, nowadays you'll see a lot of, you know, people with PhDs in IO psych um, on people analytics teams as part of a COE, 
Um, you know, I've seen a lot of more uh, like behavioral economic economics people, I guess, on uh, people yeah. analytics teams as well. Um, really understanding how can we, you know, best, like I said, have our workforce performance best, right? Um, but also, um, you see a lot of kind of the typical machine learning, a lot of the artificial intelligence, statistics, things of that nature as well um, in people analytics. So it's really evolved from, I would say, historically, um, it probably started around workforce planning, staffing, right? That's how we got things like the DuPont schedule in a place, um, pulling stuff from operations, um, and then moving on to things where you bring in like A-B testing um, and things of that nature, which is more of a marketing um, concept or, or um, idea. Um, and then now kind of combining it all into, into one, which has led to, to people analytics. So hmm. those are kind of the, some of the trends I'm seeing right now. Wow. Well, so the, it's interesting, the psychological and behavioral economics coming into play. So more the, 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 the true science approach to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of organizations are now, you know, if they haven't already, they're starting to realize that, you know, people, we need to be nurtured, right? The workforce, it's not just, hey, I hired you for a job, you're a butt in the seat, now go do it. There's a lot of um, science and a lot of research going into place that talk about how can we nurture the workforce so that it's performing at its best. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you take a look at any company's GL, salaries make up probably arguably the largest cost to an organization. So how do we get the best ROI on our investments in, in our workforce. So that's where psychology and kind of behavioral economics come into place where you're able to say, okay, we made this, you know, for sake of uh, argument here, this $50,000 investment in a year into this individual, right? So how can we help them grow? How can we help them develop? And how can we nurture them so that they stay with us and they're able to perform, you know, at, 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 at its peak? Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and, and, um, does it help with uh, like um, forming or crafting job uh, roles and responsibilities, job descriptions? Um, do we use the analytics to see uh, where there might be a need for tweaking job descriptions or what kind of stimuli might bring that about? Yeah, so that's where a lot of uh, the machine learning aspect comes in now. So there are uh, companies out there or tools out there that will actually, you put in your job description and they will actually read through it and then tell you, is this job description more masculine or more feminine, right? So they're trying to strip out any sort of bias or underlying bias and how they're attracting candidates now. And so there are really cool tools out there where they'll tell you, you know, there are certain words that, um, get written or get used that kind of are more, you know, more drawn to, to men versus women or vice versa. Mm. So how do we get, you know, in order to get a more equitable and diverse workforce, there are organizations, there are tools that use these tools to say, when we're posting a job, we want to post the most gender neutral description out there so that we're able to attract a wide variety of candidates um, and be able to have, you know, a very diverse workforce from that. So that's interesting, helping us uh, ferret out any kind of unintended bias, especially as, as we're just trying to get to this much more social equity. I like that. Very cool. Uh, Absolutely. Um, and it's just, yeah, to your point, it is like, you know, it's unconscious bias, right? The way that we talk, the way that we communicate with individuals, it's all through the way that, you know, we are our backgrounds, the way we grew up, how, you know, the environments that we are in and such. And so a lot of organizations are trying to move towards being able to post jobs that 
you know, strip out, you know, those words that might be kind of more masculine or more feminine and, you know, or, or um, any of the variety of, of, of such. And mm-hmm. so, you know, analytics really comes into play where you're able to objectively kind of just take a look at the data or the words on the job description and be able to say, we ran it through, you know, this tool and through machine learning, these are the words that are more feminine or masculine. Let's try to find more gender neutral words to replace them so we can attract, you know, more diverse candidates. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Cool. Um, so feels like there's a good number of KPIs that we can use around um, um, as a leader to grow and mature my organization in a desired direction. What are some of the, the more, most more or most valuable uh, key performance indicators that a leader would need from your perspective? Sure, absolutely. Number one, that this is a request I get asked all the time is turnover, turnover, turnover. What are you know our attrition rates by gender, by race and ethnicity um, at a particular plant location overall? You know anything of that nature. I get asked turnover so I can't even tell you how many times I get asked turnover to be honest with you. Um, and that's the number one kind of metric that I've seen a lot of origin, a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations focus on, because when we take a look at turnover, essentially it's you know people leaving the organization. So they're leaving for one thing, for one reason or another. And so a lot of organizations, they're wanting to figure out why are people leaving and how can we help them stay or make them stay um, at, at an organization? Because when you hire somebody and you put in the effort to recruit, there's a lot of cost that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And then when you have an employee at an organization and you're developing them and you're training them, there's also a lot of costs that go into that as well. And Arguably, the last thing you want to be able to see is, you know, talent that you've invested in, walk out the door and go to, you know, your competitors, right? Mm -hmm. So by looking at turnover and figuring out why folks are leaving your organization, um, then companies are able to put in the necessary programs in place to perhaps, you know, potentially reduce that turnover, which then reduces your turnover cost as well. Mm. So I would say the number one KPI that I get asked all the time is turnover and people want to look at it in many different ways, and they just want to slice and dice the data and, you know, turn it upside down and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I will say is, you know, attrition is natural. Um, in, in an organization that has 0% attrition, I would kind of be very skeptical yeah. at it, right? Um, so while attrition is very important, there are times where it just is what it is. You know, people just leave for things that we can't help, you know, um, that we can't change for one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so that comes into, you know, when we look at attrition, there are things like flight risk models that I've, you know, worked on where we try to predict what, you know, the likelihood of somebody leaving an organization. And we take a look at all sorts of different types of, um, you know, uh, attributes of that, whether it's somebody's, you know, the typical demographic stuff, their age, their gender, ethnicity, you know, things of that nature. And we take a look at things like their salary, how many times they've gone, you know, gone to promotion, Mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and that can produce a pretty good model um, in, in for, for attrition. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there are things that, you know, cause somebody to leave, such as, you know, we can't measure somebody's loyalty to an organization, right? We can't measure whether or not there's going to be an unexpected family or personal event that comes up that mm-hmm. requires them to leave an organization and things of that nature. Um, but by being able to take a look at turnover and be able to take a look at with what data that we do have, um, 
you know, we're able to really kind of help organizations or at least my organization really tackle turnover and be able to change things that we can change. Mm-hmm. So I would say turnover is part of the number one metric. Um, and as moving forward, there are other KPIs as well. So, you know, we see a lot of organizations now getting into um, engagement surveys. So taking a look at that ESAT or employee satisfaction score as well, mm-hmm. how engaged um, and how satisfied are our employees um, with the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to ensure that employees are, you know, actively engaged. We want to make sure that they have a good experience. We want to make sure that they're satisfied with, you know, the the culture, the environment, the workplace that they're in, um, so that, you know, they're able to, they want to stay at an organization. So I do see a lot of organizations now doing engagement surveys, measuring those ESAT scores, um, and being able to um, show their employees that we're asking you these questions on these surveys because we care, we want to know your opinion, so that we want to be able to figure out what areas are we lacking in so that we can improve upon them, right? Mm-hmm. A quick question um, and, on, on the ESAT. I'm just curious, you know, because uh, it feels like a derivative of CSAT, you know, customer satisfaction kind of uh, model, mm-hmm. um, which ga- has been given way, giving way to net promoter score. Are, is anybody doing like a net promoter score for from an employee's perspective? Yeah, so I think the net promoter score in a, in a people or HR perspective is, you know, how likely are you um, going to promote the workplace to, you know, people that don't work here? How likely are you recommending your, you know, current manager or the company to other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you you bring up such a great point. A lot of concepts, a lot of projects, a lot of themes that develop in people analytics actually come from, you know, the marketing side, right? So as at an organization, you take a look at the marketing department and the, you know, the retention department, they're focused on their customers, which is the external base. And HR, our customers are our employees. Mm. So a lot of the concepts, a lot of the surveys, a lot of the, the things that happen in like marketing or retention can directly be applied in human resources because all you have to do is switch the word customer for employee, and it's, mm-hmm. it's basically the same playing field for that. Yeah, yeah, and and you know back on the turnover, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, is there any kind of target uh, attrition rates by industry that are that are published? That companies can you know use as a guide for whether they're trending above or below uh, industry targets. Yeah, so I would say there's. Um, I'm not sure if there's a target uh, mm-hmm. turnover percentage by industry, but there's a lot of surveys out there. You know, I know like Towers Watson, Mercer, um, you know, Radford. They all have every. There's a lot of surveying companies that have surveys on mm-hmm. what kind of average turnover is by organization, you know, by okay. industry, things of that nature. Um, when all else fails, I my kind of go-to is the Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, number one, it's free. Um, and number two, they break it down to, you know, a, a good number of different, you know, industries um, that you can kind of benchmark yourself against nationwide. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. Thank you. So, um, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, you know, so we got attrition and uh, ESAD or ENPS. <laughs> Uh, um, right. other, any other kind of key metrics? Absolutely. So um, the, the next, you know, two that I've seen, they kind of get lumped in together is more around DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, or DNI for a lot of organizations, just diversity and inclusion, trying to figure out how do we have a, you know, more diverse, more inclusive work 
force, right? Mm -hmm. And so if I recall correctly, you know, there was um, a, a short, small, mini scandal where I believe um, uh, an executive at a large financial institution said that we don't have diversity at our organization because that's just not the pool that, you know, people, you know, um, th that we can pull from, right? Hmm. And so, um, so, you know, that's, so now a lot of organizations are focused on diversity and inclusion because they want to be able to have a more diverse workforce. They want to keep those KPIs. They want to take a look at the ratio of, you know, men and women and those who don't choose to, you know, disclose that their gender. Um, they want to be able to take a look at those that, you know, breaking down by race and ethnicity, but not just at, you know, an enterprise level. They want to take a look at it kind of by level, you know, down at the individual contributor level up to, you know, manager, directors, VPs, boards, things of that nature. And so what goes hand in hand with that would be, you know, taking a look at our hiring channels um, and also keep, keep taking a look at the KPIs associated with, you know, where are we getting a majority of our candidates from? Are we polling candidates from one particular channel? Do they have a certain, you know, particular attribute in terms of DNI to in, in that channel? Or are we diversifying our hiring sources and tapping into kind of that unknown talent from other hiring channels as well. So there are, you know, organizations that I, you know, connected with that have teams um, or have individuals that are dedicated to just taking a look at people analytics, but focus specifically on talent acquisition and being able to, you know, help the recruiters craft, you know, recruiting plans or, or TA plans that focus on how do we increase the diversity in our candidates and in our hires. Mm -hmm. um. So uh, with some of these KPIs, what kind of insights are we generating for management and leadership and even the individual contributor around career development or, you know, uh, or, or even, you know, implication on job descriptions back to that question earlier um, to get people on certain paths um, based on propensity of performance or whatnot. Um, you feel for the kinds of insights you would deliver to me as a leader. Absolutely. So that actually, you know, leads to the, the next KPI that I see organizations focused on is around things like succession planning, you know, taking a look at um, how, you know, what percentage of our workforce are currently on succession plans and then taking a look at the, the diversity breakdown of those. Um, and then also taking a look at, you know, for folks that were on succession plans, how many of those roles did we fill externally, right? When there was a ready now successor or a ready in one to two year, you know, successor. And why did we fill it externally? Because um, if you're, if I was on a succession plan and, you know, you're, the organization is telling me that you're ready now when the role opens up, like we're going to slot you right in and you're going to be a great fit for it. And that's what we're developing for. But then the role opens up and it gets chosen to be filled externally. Well, I kind of get left in a defeated mood, right? And that's mm. the perception is you talk me up, you hype me up, and now um, the opportunity came and you went another direction. So why why did you, you know, put all that effort in? Why did I put all that effort into being developed for this succession plan? So, you know, I think leaders really care about, um, in terms of development, taking a look at things like succession planning, but also taking a look at things of, of just kind of more, uh, I would say, routine you know, how many of our employees are utilizing our LMS system? You know, what kind of trainings are they, you know, watching or what kind of trainings are they taking? Um, what are people asking for that we don't have a training for yet and that, you know, we should probably develop something for, for them? Um, the cool thing when it comes to um, learning and development is that there are tools out there where um, they take a look, 
It's like a tracker that you install on your browser and basically sees what kind of articles are you reading. Because I know for me, I'm, you know, I have LinkedIn open on my computer at work. And, you know, every couple hours or so, I'll just go scroll through LinkedIn. I'll see a, an article from Harvard Business Review that will just strike my interest. I'll read it, right? And so this tool, what it does is that it'll go through and see that I read an HBR article about, let's say, leadership. And so then it goes into the LMS and it actually pulls out leadership you know, related training that will, you know, that it'll send me and say, hey, recently I saw you read this. We actually have some great training in our LMS that, you know, I think is applicable as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think leaders, when it comes to professional development, care about what are folks asking for? How can we best support them? You know, because they don't want to have training or, or L&D content out there that aren't being utilized or aren't being used. They want to keep content that's relevant, that's going to be engaging to people, um, mm-hmm. you know, going back to, to that ESAT score, um, and that people want to be able to, to watch and learn from. Uh, that, that triggers a thought in my head, too. It, it seems that being able to see what people are demonstrating an interest in could possibly even influence what kind of curriculum should be in the learning and uh, development uh, arena. Have you seen those kinds of trends happening? Yeah, so I mean, I see a lot of, it's more, um, we, you know, a lot of surveying gets done. What kind of training or learning development courses do you want to, you know, be able to to have in our LMS? Um, what do you want our L&D department to be able to put out? Um, and it's, as much as it is content, it's all about, it's also about delivery. So some people really like the in-person sessions. Obviously, that's not happening due to COVID right now, right? Um, right. Other people, they want to be able to do it on time, right? So like, for example, me, um, I sometimes at, at night, I'll have Netflix going on in the background, but I'll just have something pulled up on my computer screen that I just kind of read through and have, and, and, and that's how I learn and develop and get myself mm-hmm. engaged. So as much as it is the content, it's also about kind of the delivery and the format and the medium that the content is being delivered through. And we collect a lot of that through essentially just active surveying the folks, right? Because if we, you know, people don't, the one thing I've realized is folks don't tend to uh, ask for things unless they're being asked a bit. So we do actively survey. I prefer actively surveying our population so that we can say, hey, we want to know, and this is your opportunity to let us know what can we do from learning development to help best support you. So do you send your survey questions through that bias um, machine learning module to make sure that we don't have an unintended bias on our surveys? <laughs> Not yet, but I mean, there's nowadays, it's, it's funny that you say that because I have seen so many tools out there. If I can think of something, I guarantee you there's a startup that's already working on it. Uh-huh. Um, and it's really, really cool to be able to see kind of that cutting edge technology um, where folks, you know, these startups are doing some really, really cool stuff. So mm-hmm. not yet, but hopefully someday we'll get there. What about, um, you, you talked a little bit about um, 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 the turnover and attrition and whatnot. Um, and you mentioned about, you know, getting the right investment in the, the well, getting the right return on the investment that you make in your people. Um, how do I, how do, what are some of the techniques or sources for really getting a good unbiased opinion or view of somebody's productivity? I mean, how do I get to this objective, objective measure of return? Yeah, so productivity is actually a, a really funky thing to try and measure, right? So there are ways where um, I've seen 
people try to measure productivity by how long somebody stays online, right? On the, how long somebody is active on Teams or how many emails somebody sends, um, and you know things of that nature. Um, for me, I would say productivity is really about how you know what kind of deliverables are you know the teams delivering or is an individual delivering, right? And then this goes into a little bit about kind of management styles, you know. But we're not we're not going to get to that. But it's really about for me productivity is if the team or the individual is delivering what you know they're delivering, then metrics such as how long were they online for during the day become moot, right? Some people work better at night, other people work better early in the morning, things of that, you know, everyone has a different working style. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I measure productivity, I really like to be able to see, you know, is there, can we measure what results people are gaining, right? If operations said that they're gonna reduce their, you know, runtime i'm making things up by three percent and if they were able to do that then they were productive right if finance is able to you know do more i don't know what process more invoices or whatnot right like that to me is a as a is a measure of productivity not you know how long somebody stays online or how long somebody's active on on teams or anything of that sort yeah mm-hmm. so so where's the the you know where does hr um or uh, analytics Where's the line where does it, does the HR group or department do the analytics on behalf of the, the leaders and the managers of the people and then turns it over? Or do you collect, is it a more collaborative model or do you see all sorts of different approaches around where the people analytics actually happens? Yeah, so for me, I very much make it very collaborative because if, if a certain department comes to you know, my team and says, hey, we want to do you know, an attrition model, for example, right? What we see, we see the data. We see numbers. We see you know, values. We don't know the backstory behind it, right? There could have been a very simple explanation as to why attrition was super low or super high, right? And so by making it a collaborative um, kind of project, you're able to work and learn the backstory because there's, there's a story to everything. We see the numbers and there's, a pop, there's always an explanation for that. So I personally like to make it very collaborative, um, but also, to the, also not just making it collaborative, I also like to put some of the ownership onto you know, the, the team or the department asking for this type of analysis. Um, because sometimes we get asked, you know, hey, we think attrition is high, Let's, can you do some analysis on that? And we'll do it and then we present it. Uh, and then they're like, okay, cool, thanks. Right. So then it's kind of just ending. And then we were like, well, we'd like to make this a collaborative effort. We'd like to, you know, go back and forth, try to, we want to be able to deliver you a product or a result that is meaningful to you and that you're actually going to use and you're going to own as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I like to make it very um, collaborative in that nature. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and we just got a question in from Paul, um, similar to productivity. Um, he's had experience where teams ask about other kind of tricky to measure concepts like how do we measure effectiveness or how do we measure how quickly an individual or a team acquires knowledge and learns. Um, Have you seen any good approaches around that kind of uh, uh, request? Yeah, so a lot of times we, you know, one of the things that we try to measure in in talent acquisition and then also in learning development is, you know, um, time uh, time to productivity. Essentially, that's 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 the measurement because you have you know things in TA that's like time to fill, time to hire. How long does it take to get a button in a seat? And then mm-hmm. from there, how long does it take for the individual to get ramped up 
that they're producing, you know, at, at, at capacity or, or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so that really, the only way that I've seen it done is you survey the manager because the manager, you know, is the one that is able to determine, you know, yes, you know, Johnny, for example, is, you know, we, he's performing at exactly, you know, what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and he's productive and, and things of that nature. So, you know, just like we have things like 30-day surveys, 90-day surveys that we send out to the employee, how was your first 30 days, how was your first 90 days? I also am a firm believer that we should also be sending those out to managers as well, right? How were the first 30 days of Johnny or Susan's, you know, time here at Acme Corporation? How were the first 90 days? You know, are they performing up to speed? If not, you know, is there something that we can do from L&D that can help them, you know, get ramped up to speed? Um, or did we... Is it possible that we just made a bad hire as well? That that is a possibility, unfortunate, but it is a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for measuring things like time to productivity, I would suggest, you know, if you don't have it, go to your LD department um, and say, hey, let's start sending these surveys to hiring managers. You just hired a new person. Let's mm -hmm. see how that's going. Mm -hmm. How about mashing up? <clears throat> I mean, depending on the job role and job functions. So maybe a salesperson. <clears throat> um, salesperson is supposed to sell. Um, so do you see ex, uh, examples where by people, depending on the, the system being used, so let's say it's a CRM, can I get in there and measure um, how many outbound calls a sales rep's making and, and conversion ratio of those calls into deals and things of that sort, um, and then tying it together with the survey information that you just shared, which gives me some qualitative insight. Um, approaches to take business transaction data, if I can account it to an individual uh, so that I can look at some of the quantitative measures and bring those together. Have you seen uh, examples like that? So I haven't. Um, I have not been able to, to work with kind of the, um, what I would call like the call center-like environment or the, you know, that population um, where we can measure how many calls are being made, how many, um, you know, deals are being signed, things of that nature. Um, but I, I can see a use case for that as well, where, you know, we're tying together, hey, this person is making this many calls, um, you know, and per hour and whatnot, and this is mm -hmm. what the average is, if they're above or below that, and then taking a look at this is how many deals that they're signing and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, which in and of itself, you know, working in, in an outbound or inbound call center, is that it actually takes a lot of skill, right? So, mm -hmm. Just the other night, actually, I got a call at like eight o'clock at night from Spectrum. They, you know, provide my internet here, and they were trying to sell me, um, uh, I think, TV service as well. And for mm -hmm. me, I was just like, no thanks. I have Netflix. I have Hulu. Like, I'm fine. But the person on the other line, I do commend that person because um, they were very, you know, uh, well spoken. They were able to, you know, try and find reasons to try and keep me on the phone longer, <laughs> right? Um, and try to, like, you know, really try to the deal for me and they're like offering free trials and whatnot so it's really a, a it's really an art and a science that goes behind you know kind of those kind of roles um so with that being said you know you, you can see it, it really depends on the metrics that you're trying to to i would say measure if you want somebody who is just purely transaction based then it's yes how many calls can they make per hour but if you want somebody that if you're looking at how many deals they can close then it's a whole nother metric and you should look at them and be able to tell the story of each metric and ensure that the story being told is an accurate one. Mm -hmm. Okay, Michael, I'm starting to get this vision that the, the, the people department or the human resources department has a, a very great opportunity to consult on 
behalf of the organization. So it's more than hiring and firing. Um, I'm starting to, I, I picked up a little thread of influencing learning and development content. I'm picking up a thread of influencing um, uh, leadership skills. Um, uh, I, I, what's, that, what's that model? Are you seeing more and more HR departments getting out as a consultant into the business community um, within their enterprise? Yeah, so I personally am a fan of like a shared services model. So people analytics is so broad, right? A lot of, um, at least with kind of the model that I set up, a lot of things that fall into people analytics include a lot of things like reporting, which isn't very exciting in my opinion. Sorry, no offense to people that are report writers out there. Um, but things like <laughs> report polling, you know, some people just need reports. They just need data, right? Um, so that falls in what I would call into people analytics shared services model as well but for more of the you know the consultative um, type of individuals or, or projects and whatnot that's still I kind of established like a COE almost where you might have an individual that is dedicated to just learning and development projects so they partner with L&D who then partners with you know their client group and you know work on projects of that nature right um, or somebody that works specifically with talent acquisition or somebody that works specifically on DNI um, so that's kind of the model that I would have set up is just kind of shared services, but also have individuals that kind of specialize in these areas, um, benefits, comp, L&D, whatever, so that they're able to really just go work with those specific departments, like the comp department, mm -hmm. and then work mm -hmm. on those related analytics projects that come from that. Yeah, thank you. You're, you know, I, was, I just had another question queued up in my head. It was like, you know, what about you know, consultation from a compensation management standpoint? Right? which kind of starts to drive us back to the career development, career planning, job descriptions, comp management. I mean, how often are you guys, um, should an HR uh, group on behalf of the business be sensing the, the pulse and the rhythms in the, in the industries that they're competing within? I'm sorry, you cut out. I, all I heard was about the industry that they're in. Um, how often should the HR department be sensing the market rhythms in the industries they're in and making recommendations or providing some insight from external um, uh, perspective back to the uh, leadership and management. Should yeah, so I would thing? say, yeah, yeah. yeah, I would say that's really dependent on, you know, the, the organization and the culture of the organization. Um, some organizations really like having these weekly updates. And, and whatnot and pulling data from external sources and being, you know, having a pulse on where they stand. Others are more, you know, less frequent. They like to have on a monthly or quarterly basis. So I really think it depends on the organization and how competitive that organization wants to be in the market. Um, and so there's, you know, for, for things like compensation, really, they're kind of the, the OG, if you will, when it comes to analytics, because they work with numbers the most, right? Um, but things like learning and development um, and, and of that nature, I would say it really kind of depends on the organization. There's not a right or wrong or one size fits all approach mm -hmm. to that. Okay, cool, cool. So you got some recommendations around modern approaches? You started Absolutely. You know, actually getting into it a little bit. Let's keep going down that thread a little bit. Yeah, so I would say um, for, for modern approaches, if you don't already have a people analytics department, start off very, very, very simple, right? Everybody has Excel on their computers. That is also the original, the OG here of, of tools to use. Start with things like calculating turnover, 
right? And then from there, go into more detail, taking a look at like, okay, what are the number top five reasons why folks are leaving? Do we have, you know, seasonality in our turnovers that we can better prepare for, you know, staffing plans if we need to, things of that nature. So start with Excel. And then, you know, as you get more sophisticated, you know, you might decide that, oh, I want to spin up a, a data warehouse or a data lake, you know, or some sort of repository. I, um, oftentimes I use the word, you know, data warehouse or data lake to, you know, kind of my HR colleagues and they, they get this kind of look of like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that seems super fancy, right? It really is, we use, you know, you and I use the word data warehouse, data lake, because we work in the data, data world, right? But to, in, in the simplest terms, it really is just a repository of data, someplace where we can just keep data, keep history so that we can go back and revisit it. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, something along those lines. Those lines. But then obviously, as you, you know, start getting that repository going and whatnot, you need to think about um, like, okay, data quality, right? So I'm a firm believer and I preach garbage in, garbage out. If we have bad data, you're going to have bad analysis and, you know, it's not going to be pretty, right? Mm-hmm. So as you're thinking about getting data into this repository, you're going to think about maybe do I need an ETL tool or extract, transform, load tool? You know, some of the ones that come to mind are like Alteryx, Informatica, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you, you know, get the data in and you're, you know, pulling the reports and whatnot, you're thinking, how, is there a better way to show this information? You know, cause there's only so much real estate on a screen, right? So is there a more effective way of showing this information and tell the story behind it? Mm-hmm. And then that's where you think, okay, maybe I need a visualization tool, right? Tableau, Click, Power BI, things of that sort. And so those are some of those are some of the the kind of the modern tools I would say, uh, and, and the approach that I would take to mm-hmm. establishing like a people analytics um, function at your organization. Okay, and and um, I, I offered up a little bit earlier, you know, your experience around you know the mashing up of business transaction data with some people data. Um, um, in my past, I haven't done um, I haven't done the people domain in, in quite some time. Um, but every time I have gotten involved with it in my career, there's always been a very, very strong reluctance to expose the employee data in the enterprise data warehouse um, you know, because of security concerns and privacy concerns. Um, right. What kind of tips do you have around the security and access control? Absolutely. So um, I would say number one, you know, there is there's really no way unless you're going to invest in having an infrastructure team that's HR specific, there is no way to really rope off, you know, everybody and keep it just HR exclusive. So what needs to happen is you need to identify those individuals that have what I like to call the God view of everything because there there's always going to be somebody who needs to administer the system right whether it's your data warehouse in snowflake or whether it's your tools you know alteryx or, or whatever there always needs to be somebody to administer it so mm-hmm. you know getting buy-in and, and having those individuals identified and then putting them through the necessary trainings that they need to right so for me things like HIPAA training that's that's kind of the the standard one that we put folks through is understanding you know the data that's going into a data warehouse and the the you know the repercussions if that data would were to be misused and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And then also having a great relationship and partnership with your IT team or your data team um, is really kind of the foundation for ensuring that you know everybody's on the same page. They understand the sensitivity of you know the data that's going in um, and, and things like that. Um, but ultimately, I think it comes down to trust, 
right? Everybody talks about trust. We, we see it everywhere. There's books written on it and whatnot. Ultimately, I personally am of uh, the believer that treat people like adults. You treat people like professionals, right? You have my trust until you lose it. If we are, you know, giving you access to this type of data and you intentionally misuse it, well, then there are consequences to go with that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you can have all of these, you know, access controls and, 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 you know, walling off different environments and whatnot, ultimately it comes down to trust. We need to be able to trust the teams and the individuals involved in starting up a data, you know, nature data project um, and just, you know, have that continuous conversation and, and dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting. And, and if I wanted to mash up the business transaction data with my HR data, would you recommend bring the business transaction data to the HR environment that has a little bit more control around it or have a controlled area within the enterprise data warehouse that only selected people can see the HR data? I would have a, uh, a walled off kind of controlled environment um, where you're able to just have the HR data live. So I know with, you know, going back to modern tools, things like um, Snowflake, for example, right? You can spin up a, a separate Snowflake environment that is walled off from the rest of kind of the, the business transaction data. Same thing with tools like an Informatica or, or an Alter. You can, you can spin up different environments that only certain people have access to. Mm-hmm. All right. This is this one's a little off the cuff. Um, um, first, let me encourage everybody on the call, please, if you have a, any questions swirling around in your head, put them in the chat window and we can try to stump Michael. Um, you're aware of GDPR and California's version of CC, CCPA, I think it is. Uh, it's all around the mm-hmm. privacy, respecting the individual behind the data, really, right? At the end of the day, are we, are you starting to see that kind of need, regulatory compliance need starting to happen to protect our employees? So I, to be honest, I haven't seen any new regulations or any sort of trends um, around HR data specifically or employee data, um, because it's, you know, when there's always a funky relation, employee to employer relationship, you know, what does the employer own versus what does the employee own when it comes to that, right? Um, in terms of data or anything of that nature. What I have seen is companies being more transparent with the type of data that they're collecting from their employees, aside from name, date of birth, salary, things like that. So when we get into the, you know, productivity, our previous, you know, talk, conversation earlier about productivity, you know, companies that install these tools to track how long somebody stays online and whatnot. Um, and, you know, you can easily just query if you have like Microsoft Teams, right? I'm sure you can query in Azure a table that says this person was active from here to here, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all being tracked, right? But it's really about being transparent about what are we going to do with that data? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, this documentary on Netflix that talks about, um, uh, I think it's Cambridge Analytica. I, I'm probably butchering the name here, which is that whole thing about Facebook and the election mm-hmm. and, you know, things of that nature. Yep. If you really think about it, what they did for the election and the data that they collected on, you know, Facebook users and whatnot, in a way, it's scary, but we can do the exact same thing or very close to the same thing here in people analytics as well. Mm. So I think what's really important is not so much like the data that you're collecting or, you know, how you're storing it or things like that. It's really about 
being transparent about how we're using the data and what are we using it for and why are we using it um, and, mm. th- and things like that and being transparent with that. Mm, yeah, that sounds like, uh, you know, more awareness around data ethics, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I um, recently came across, the, uh, was, I don't know how many proposals it was, but the very first one was respect the individual behind the data was the first ethic. Yeah, right. yeah very cool. Um, well, that's awesome. Um, I think we have one more poll, Alexis. Could we uh, throw that up? We sure can. All right, folks, on a scale of one to five, one being not likely at all and five being, oh yeah, happening right now. Uh, given what you just heard from Michael today, how likely are you to start an HR analytics function or increase the awareness? We'll give folks and while minutes. folks are taking that, you know, you probably realize, you know, the, the title of today's um, webinar was called Analytics, the Missing Night of the HR Roundtable. And that's really, that's something that I kind of crafted up through, through the years because I really realized that HR functions are very, we're very good at being transactional. We're very good at processing hires, terms, you know, promotion, things of that nature, merit and whatnot. And with each of those transactions, it comes with a lot of data. And there's a lot of um, stories that go on that can be told from that data. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, the new term nowadays actually is called data journalism because stories are meant to be, you know, something that spans and can, you know, be told time and time again. Journalism is more about right here in the moment, what is it telling us, right? And so I started using the phrase data journalism because it's really about what are we trying to know and learn at this point in time. Um, But, you know, for folks, you know, that are on this webinar and thank you so much for attending, really, you know, analytics and data should be embedded in not just HR, but every single function out in, you know, in, in an organization. There is data everywhere. Every time you press a button, every time you do something, data gets generated and you can definitely tell a story or, you know, tell, be a journal, a data journalist with mm-hmm. that data. That's, that, I love that thought. Um, um, uh, and it kind of goes hand in hand with uh, data literacy, which uh, as you increase your literacy, hopefully one of the outcomes is you can tell a better and more compelling and accurate story. Right? So let's right. see here. We got some poll results. Um, we're convinced, but now we've got to solve management tied with, oh, yeah, happening right now. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, Mike, Michael, give me any kind of, that, that was a beautiful um, um, closing thought there. Any other kind of closing thoughts to leave people with before we um, send them on their way? <laughs> yeah, so for me, I am a huge fan, and I always try to tackle it with small wins, right? It's a lot easier to convince senior management of starting a people analytics or investing more in a people analytics function when you can show them these small wins. So it's very easy to go and like say, we have this huge idea, we're gonna spin up this enterprise data warehouse, we're gonna you know, have all these cool tools, automation, you know, predictive modeling and whatnot, when in actuality, they, you know, senior management might just wanna know like, give me a turnover percentage, right? give me a hiring percentage, give me something small. So, you know, that's kind of how I like to approach you know, these large, you know, CapEx projects and whatnot is by saying, we're going to break them to phases. These are small things that we want to tackle. And these are what I can deliver very quickly. Um, So for me, it's about, I would say it's high impact and far reach. So what things have high impact that, you know, also kind of get 
the audience is also really wide for that as well and can have a far reach. And so that's how, for me, I've seen success in being able to either start or continually invest in a people analytics function. That's awesome. That's great insight. Well, I appreciate you, sir. Fascinating dialogue with you today. Um, Michael Chen, people analytics manager. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. And thank you everyone that uh, joined us today. Um, we'll uh, wrap up the recording and get it out to all the attendees. Um, and everyone have a wonderful uh, rest of your day. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye, everyone.